jokes. <laughs> and it's time to hate watch. <laughs> We're not going to edit that shit out. Everybody <laughs> listening can just drink twice. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> welcome to Hate Watch. I'm so sorry. <laughs> For anyone who wants to learn more. Scroll back to twitter.com slash ATV podcast to March 9th. <laughs> March 9th was a beautiful day. Um, you can also feel free to listen to episode 80 of ATV podcast um, titled This Is Us, Kate Edition, and a quick visit to Riverdale. Um, and also fourth and dick jokes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So, the microphone just picked up all my ice cubes. <laughs> it's GNT night on the Hate Watch podcast. All right, Kelsey, what do we got this week? So, this week, we are going to be talking about pure, real, true Hate Watches. We're going to actually live up to our names for the first time, maybe, so far. So, I'm going to start off with a classic Hate Watch. Something that is my go-to if I feel like hate-watching something. And then Kirstie is going to take it from there and do a hate-watch BYOB. She's bringing something mysterious that I don't know about yet, and she's going to tell me all about hate-watching it. I'm going to bring it to the party. Exactly. Alright, so, I'm going to jump in with my classic hate-watch. It is the esteemed, wonderful, prestige HBO... House Hunters spinoff, Tiny House Hunters. <laughs> the HBO spinoff? HBO. <laughs> I said Prestige and HBO just fell out. I was okay with Prestige. <laughs> yeah. Sure, Tiny House Hunters is Prestige television. <laughs> it's prestige for HGTV. That's where I was going. HGTV, not In HBO. Fairness. They're different. In fairness to you, today, March 9th, was a very big day for HBO. So I could see it was a big day. why <laughs> HBO would be on the mind in a conversation where we are also talking about things that are tiny. That was Ooh, a joke burn. about HBO's penis. <laughs> <laughs> it was. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so the classic prestige HGTV <laughs> program, Tiny House Hunters, available on basic cable and not pay cable subscription. Subscription. <laughs> we'll cut that part out. <laughs> Will we though? Anyway, so the premise of Tiny House Hunters is effectively the same as 
regular house hunters in which a person or a couple goes out in search of a new home they choose from three homes that usually kind of fit what they want but also don't exactly fit what they want and then they have to make a big decision and pick one and live there (laughs) so there's there's always a setup at the beginning where you get to know the couple you see where they currently live it's usually a couple it's not always a couple um you see where the person lives there's usually a moment where some cluster of people who either live in the house or don't are all in the kitchen or the bathroom at the same time and they bumble into each other and say the space isn't functional for our purposes and then you find out the extraordinary wish list that the person wants to buy but in this case that extraordinary wish list exists in about 200 square feet on a tractor trailer for like seventy-five thousand dollars And it's usually a millennial who has to take some time to tell you that they're more interested in investing in experiences than property. Every damn time. So these people are the worst people on the face of the planet. They are all hipsters. They're all like earthy crunchy sometimes or they're just like adventure people, which are worse. (laughs) I like adventure people. Like you said that and I imagined a millennial in Georgia the Jungle. But for real, some guy built a climbing wall to get up to his loft. Like, I hate these people. How do you fit a climbing wall on a trailer hitch? No, they put the, like, the little things that you grab onto when you go rock climbing indoors. And yeah, no, I know what a climbing wall is. Like, I work with children. I know what those are. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Definition over. So, <laughs> instead of a ladder going up to the loft, that's what they had. But, like, in a tiny house, your loft is is the ladder like your loft is as tall as your desk like i'm still confused no they're like eight feet high (laughs) i don't know what the fuck kind of tiny homes you're looking at how many episodes of the show have you seen i have seen two i would like to think i know a little more about tiny homes i know i know i'll see i would like to state for the record and i am perfectly comfortable with this being on the record that for uh i don't want to say a significant time in my life it wasn't quite significant but for a time in my life um my husband and i were going to get a tiny home and They're so the worst people in the world i, <laughs> I <laughs> i'm sorry but i had to <laughs> uh, i have actually seen my fair share of tiny homes on the internet and yeah, so have I. Welcome to the not, internet. It's 2017. <laughs> <laughs> do not think that your current description of an eight-foot-tall tiny home is terribly accurate. I'm going to find you a goddamn video, and you will see what I mean. I don't have time for this shit. How many videos are there of tiny homes? Well, there's four full seasons of Tiny House Hunters, so... I'm just now realizing that I'm sitting here making a big deal about, like, eight feet, as if that's, like really tall and i just realized that i know humans that are like six five yeah so anyway anyway is there a show (laughs) there's a show so these people typically come in and first of all like kirstie said they want experiences they don't want to be tied down to their house and property like who god forbid they always talk about they brag about how they have jobs that can be mobile they're usually like accountants or like consultants accountants are not mobile oh but these are 
There's been so many accountants on this show. Okay, but they, like, usually work for startups or um, do, or, like, do something where they can work remote. Like, they're usually tech people. Right. And they typically have this dream of, like, driving across country and just parking in their tiny house wherever they want and being so free and mobile. And I am willing to bet that most of them just settle in one spot because you can't actually be free and mobile because you have to have, like, a hookup for electricity and maybe some basic septic plumbing. So, I mean, plenty of people live in RVs, though. Right. But they're still in an RV, like, park with hookups you can't just go and drop your tiny house wherever you want is what i'm saying you have to like acquire land or pay for land or rent land or whatever one thing i have always wondered about with tiny houses particularly ones that are built on trailer hitches um which have the wheels and shit and are intended to be moved oh now that i think of it i have actually seen three episodes of the show the third one was someone who intended to drive cross country um see and she did, at least when House Hunters came back two months later. Um, That's she, was just par- she was parking in people's fields. Um, the one right. thing I've always wondered, though, so, like, I've known plenty of people over the course of my life who've had RVs and do, like, the cross-country RV trip thing. And I kind of vaguely understand how they keep their belongings from, like, rolling around the RV as they drive. Because, like, just think about having a soda can on, like, the floor of your car. And how disruptive that is. And now you're going to have, like, your dishes and your clothes and, like, your chinchilla and shit. Um, Like your decorative plants. (laughs) Oh, my God, my house plants. Um, So, uh, yeah, my basic question here is, like, how are you keeping all your shit from rolling around from your trailer hitch? Because the thing about having a trailer hitch versus an RV is that that's even more separate from the car that's towing it. You know, so there's, like, even more movement involved. They never really address that either. No one has ever addressed that. They, like, oh, here's the locks for your cabinet so the doors don't fly open. They don't really go into those details. They've given no solutions. No solutions. Anyway, the top sort of issues that come up on tiny house hunters are a little different than regular house hunters. Usually on regular house hunters, it's like, I don't like the wall color, or I don't like the his and hers bathroom sinks, or the closets aren't big enough. Here, it's, do we have a composting toilet or a regular (laughs) toilet? Which is, like, a gross conversation that they have for so long. It's also, do they like the loft? Does the loft have enough room for both people to sit up in them? Because often, if it's, there's usually, like, one person who's more into it than the other, and if the other person is like a tall man who's not that into it and he can't fit they still often buy that house with that loft which i imagine is a terrible existence every day <laughs> well because like 90 percent of any any house center's franchise like any part of the franchise is making a really big deal out of the one that has ultimately been chosen right and like there's a pattern to it. I won't go into depth on that because I know that there's some spoilers and this is maybe the one space where I will not use my six-month latitude. Um, but, like, definitely the one where they make the most drama out of the house being unlivable is, like, usually the livable one. Exactly. So, some things I have some questions about with these tiny houses in particular is that a lot of them seem to think that they don't need appliances which is interesting 
They think that they don't need appliances, and they're all so impressed with themselves for being minimalistic that they also don't seem to need, like, you know, a single spatula to cook with or any of the clothes that they own. Right. So, like, clothes, I guess you can be a little minimalistic about if you want, but I've seen ones that don't have refrigerators, and they just have Mm -hmm. a quaint little cooler. I've seen ones without stoves, and they just have a hot plate if they're lucky. Um, Often, they don't have, like, they definitely don't have a dishwasher, which is horrible in my own existence, but... Sometimes they'll even make a big deal about not getting full-size appliances, which is almost as absurd because they're demanding to live in 60 square feet. (laughs) Oh, I saw a fourth episode. Um, There was one episode that I saw where um, they had, it was a family. It was a mother, a stepfather, and two children. Um, One of the children was a 13-year-old daughter, and the other child was a son of, like, middle childhood age. And... Um, her the mother's struggle is that she wanted her teenage daughter to have like a private space yes and she like couldn't find any that had like a good enough loft for her teenage daughter because it was so important to her that her daughter have private space and eventually I think they bought a bus that had like a had like a big cubby bunk like you know those pod hostels that are becoming trendy Mm -hmm. it was like that Um, except the teenage daughter was the only one that had a thing she could close over her pod honestly if you're bringing a teenage child to live in a tiny house with you to bond they are going to move out of there the second they turn 18 and they will never (laughs) talk to you again a lot of them talk about entertaining in their tiny houses and i think it's hilarious because there's no room they have some of them have couches if they're lucky but they look at the most uncomfortable couches in the world because they're like here's this thing like a trunk that holds things and then we put a pillow over it and that's not well, right couch. like any good rv it has to be multifunctional right i did see one i can't remember which one it was but at the end she was i think it was the one where the woman buys the airstream trailer um and like paints it a crazy color uh but they're, like, giving the tour um, in, like, the two to three month later segment at the end of the episode. And she had some kind of office job, so she wanted, like, an office in her tiny home. And she was showing her living room, which could also be converted into an office by, like, pulling something out of her couch. And then <laughs> if she pulled out a different part of her couch, it made the dining room table. And then, like, something different made it the kitchen. Because that's convenient. Yeah, why not? One thing that I think you'll appreciate in particular, I saw one where they had, this was actually not Tiny House Hunters, this was Tiny House, it was another Tiny House show that's a whole another can of worms, but they made this table that you flip over to be your makeup station. At I a do angle. appreciate that. Well, yeah, but you had no storage in it, so you just had a panel with a mirror. So you'd have to have a makeup bag? And a place to put it, but you can't put it on your table because you just got rid of it. You just put it under your your table, under your bed? On the floor? Under your pillow. I just, I don't understand. So Use it as a, put it in a really hard makeup bag and then use it as the wedge under the tire of your tiny home so your tiny home doesn't roll away. Now we're talking. (laughs) So my biggest number one concern slash issue with most of these houses 
is that they don't have curtains specifically in their majestic skylights at the loft so everyone's like oh these lofts are so great i can see the stars but there's no curtains on any of them ever how do you you sleep like that and wake up and the sun's like bright in your face at three in the morning or i don't know when the sun comes (laughs) out that 3 a.m sunrise though but you know what i mean I don't actually. Um, I am not one of those people for whom the sunrise is disruptive to their sleep patterns. So I w- before you launched into that rant, I was going to stop and be like, but why do curtains in a sunlight skylight matter? And then as you started speaking, I realized that you're one of those and I'm just not. That's true. Yeah, yeah I need like total darkness if I'm going to sleep and then it needs to stay dark for me to stay asleep. So I want to quickly touch base on, touch base, touch on my, <laughs> stop sorry, I'm so, in the, I was laughing already because I was reading a BuzzFeed article called 33 Things That Happen on Tiny House Hunters, and so I laughed at that, and then you said touch base, and then I started laughing about office speak in our casual podcast, and I'm, I just think you're funny. Oh, I'm so glad I'm amusing you. Continue. That is what I'm here for. Um, so my top three worst people on Tiny House Hunters. I'm looking at my list to make sure I have three. I do. Okay. <laughs> my top three least favorite people who I hate watched the hardest. Number one was someone who insisted on having a fairly small tiny house. They can kind of range. This was on the small side. And also insisted on having an area to do his home brewing. No shit. I have always wanted to see a home brewer tiny house. That's like my dream. Tell me so much more about that one. Well, what they ended up doing was buying like your classic trailer home and not actually a tiny house at all. Oh. But his like demands were so ridiculous that... It was just irritating the entire episode because every house they looked at, he was like, well, it seems kind of small for my home brewing. <laughs> I was like, really? Because that's what you asked for. Pretty like, sure. That's why we're you here. Say, when you say the word tiny and house next to each other, what words do you hear? Right. So that's number three, I guess, if we're counting down. I don't know what I numbered it before. Number two is this woman from i think season one who was a sound healer which just take that for what it's worth and hate watch the shit out of it and then add on that she ended up purchasing a yurt yes i was just about to ask if this is the one i saw this one and this one was really good she was a lunatic she like didn't want like things she didn't want a kitchenette she didn't want a bathroom she made, like, an outdoor bathroom so she can pee and look out over the valley at the same time. Yeah, she um, liked the nature. She did like the nature. She filled it with, like, bohemian, like, pillows and draperies, and that was pretty much the whole house, and then she would, like, play her healing instruments in the middle of the floor. She did build a second story in her yurt, which, if you know anything about yurts, which I expect you all do, um, is not terribly traditional because it's bad for the heat flow. Uh, But she did build a loft into her yurt. 
and she loved that loft. As a teenager, I did take guitar lessons from a woman who taught in a year, and from that time on, well, not forever, but for a period of time in my uh, more formative years, I did appreciate a good year. Was she a sound healer? Uh... (laughs) I'm not going to let you answer that. (laughs) So, the number one worst couple I've ever seen on this show, I will wrap up soon, I'm sorry, is a couple who made a tiny house, they custom built it, and they had two cats, I want to say. So one cat is too many cats. I'm coming at it from that perspective. However, Hashtag rude. I'll admit it. Anyway, two cats, or frankly, like any animal like that in a tiny home seems a little bit mean. But these two cats, they had to build like a special track for them to walk across from the loft to the other side where they made a special... Um, litter box out of an old trunk. (laughs) And, like, I can't get the smell of cat in a tiny house out of my head ever after seeing that, because it must be so disgusting. (laughs) And then, at the end, he proposed to his girlfriend in the tiny house with their cats in their weird little infested home, and it was just a lot. And the house hunter's camera? Yeah, and the house hunter's camera. Because that, honestly, to me, is the part that's more concerning. I mean, it was the ultimate hate watch classic. It was horrible. um, I did find the Tiny House Hunters drinking game. And it hits on a lot of what you just talked about, like, as an executive summary. Um, So I won't read all of the rules. I'll just sort of pick the highlights. Um, Kiersey is an expert in drinking games. Oh, yes. Like, building them and selecting the qualifying items to drink or waterfall or whatever it needs to be. Yeah, this is definitely my most resume-worthy skill. I've built a career on it. Um, So take one drink if they complain that the house is too small or complain that it's too big. Um, If they are disgusted by the composting toilet, if they're shocked by the lack of full-size appliances, if the loft is an issue for their fur babies, or if entertaining is an issue. Who uses fur babies? Oh, so many people. Um, And there's more rules than this. I'm just picking the highlights. Drink twice if um, all the upgrades they want push the tiny house out of their budget. If they want to park it in their parents, grandparents, friends' yard, um, they look at a yurt. If the person buying the house has a job that seems fake or made up, they mention the reason for choosing tiny living so that they can travel more. And this is the best. Finish your drink if they choose a yurt. Because it's literally only been that one crazy lady. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, she's the worst. <laughs> the yurt is the most heat efficient design. Well, this sound healer in Southern California didn't really need one then, did she? Anyway, so I feel like I've said all I need to say about Tiny House Hunters, except if you haven't seen it, go on demand and watch it if you're not a cord cutter. If you are, I don't know how to help you. They definitely have it on one of the streaming platforms. I can't keep track because HGTV is split across a bunch of the different streaming platforms but tiny house hunters is on one of them perfect or you can do one of our favorite methods for watching hgtv is that whenever we travel anywhere we just keep it on the tv in the hotel room all day (laughs) 
So if you have any other thoughts, this is like our transition time, right? So if you have any other thoughts about... (laughs) I assume that at some point we'll need a transition time for like sponsorship, right? Because like that's a thing. Um, So if you have thoughts about Tiny House Hunters or other HGTV products, um, give a shout on the Twitter machine at HateWatchWithUs or like send us one of those old email things at nope hate watch with us at gmail.com <laughs> you got there there's too many ads that's really the problem with technology well i just sent people to twitter.com slash atv podcast so. <laughs> <laughs> who's the old millennial now oh god i'm sorry you should be novices like me really look up to people like you you're full of shit <laughs> So really, I'm just stalling for time as I close out of the 45 tiny house articles that I never got to talk about, um, including one about a couple who bought a literally burned down tiny house for $155,000 and then put, like, by the time they were done, they had spent over $300,000 on this tiny house. Anyway. Also, Southern California hipsters, just saying. There's, why are there so many of them? It's like a breeding ground. I cannot go there ever again. It's horrible. Um, so sidebar on that note, um, we just had town meeting day in Vermont, which is like when you vote on municipal and school budgets and it's like a thing in Vermont because we don't have county government. And, (laughs) um, someone was talking about how their town meeting day went down in like their small podunk town in Vermont. And they were like, yeah, it was like Priuses versus pickups and the Priuses won. That's amazing. (laughs) wow if you've never been to vermont that's literally their only demo it's either you're a prius or you're a pickup (laughs) yeah it was definitely the most real talk i've ever heard and it has been kicking around in my brain ever since i love that so much yeah uh for what it's worth i'm a prius driver so (laughs) i might be a pickup you're not a pickup i'm sorry if i had to choose I mean, if you had to choose, I could see you choose actively making the choice of a pickup truck. But, like, if a Vermonter saw you driving a pickup truck, they would probably ask if you needed help. All right, that's fair. Priuses just don't drive fast enough for me. <laughs> you're so new here. Am I? I drive fast. You drive, like, 55, and you're proud of it. Nuh-uh. <laughs> I drive, like, 70, and I'm proud of it. Oh, shit. <laughs> we got a badass over here. You, okay, so I drive to Boston a fair amount, as we're just so detoured. I drive to Boston a fair amount, and my favorite game, particularly when I'm in the tunnel, is to count the number of mass holes who I pass with, like, my Prius and my green plates, because in New England, like, green plates are known as, like, being kind, gentle, sweet Vermonters. It's the worst plates. <laughs> I pass a lot of people who aren't expecting a Prius with green plates to be aggressive. So. Yeah, but did you get flipped off twice yesterday? Because I did. I mean, I had a committee meeting. So, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I work in government, remember? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> so... Since that was a really topical transition. 
that was fun for everyone, I'm sure. It was really fun for everyone. We covered local politics. We covered driving. <laughs> so many things that we hate watch. <laughs> okay. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so this is what we are calling Hate Watch BYOB. And the idea of a BYOB is that Kelsey or I, whoever, um, shows up to this segment with something whoever, to share. Who else are we having on this podcast? There may be a situation where we both have a BYOB. Okay, great. I'm not trying to predict the future. I thought you were trying to suggest you're bringing in a third chair. We could have a third chair. I'm not trying to predict the future. Right. All right. Carry on. I mean, like, if Linda Holmes came at us and was like, third chair life. If Catherine Van Arendonk came at us and was like, third chair life. I would do it for Catherine. If Margaret H. Willison came at us and was like, third chair life. (laughs) Is this like a desperate plea? Is that what this is? (laughs) This is not a gin-soaked sales pitch, I promise. Uh Um, So... The idea of a BYOB is that I come to the segment with something to share. I have not previously run this by Kelsey, sort of like how you don't tell people that you're bringing PBR, because then no one would invite you to the party. And so with that, I present to you my BYOB for this week, this momentous week. Um, So as you may know from listening to the past couple episodes, I have been watching my first season of The Bachelor, uh, which has been Nick's season, um, which is mostly infamous because Nick has been on The Bachelor like 10,000 times, and the villain this, wow, I almost said this week, um, this season was Corinne, uh, who has a nanny, and that's basically all you need to know. Um... And so on Monday night, it was the second to last episode. Um, So we are down to the last two women that Nick is going to get to propose to next week. And uh, they had what is apparently called the Women Tell All special. So I've seen a couple of finales of The Bachelor. I've never watched a full season. So I'm aware that there's like this after show thing that happens. And since I don't have cable i don't really get it i think it's like a live show right are you missing out on something because you're missing out on something because it's a choice that i made because i don't think that this adds value to my life by paying for it so (laughs) for reference go back to episode one two two i don't know one of those (laughs) some episode we recorded in the past Lucky for you, there's not much of a history to go back to. Um, yeah, so apparently this is like a thing that happens in the formula, and those of you listening who do watch The Bachelor, um, you know, feel free to tell me exactly how wrong I am. Uh, so this is the Women Tell All episode, so it's like an hour of just the dates, and then two hours of like 29 ladies just yelling at each other about things that happened. Um where I want to take this conversation, though, uh, which surprised me at the exact moment that I decided I wanted to do this, was um, I wanted to touch on some surprising moments of feminism and the ways in which the patriarchy does not always constrain the contestants of The Bachelor. <laughs> I tried really hard not to laugh and then we were done. <laughs> buckle in everyone (laughs) buckle the fuck up guys 
Um, see, I told you you would like where this was going. Do I, though? <laughs> so let me first start with a quick disclaimer. At no point in this segment am I going to make the argument that The Bachelor or anything happening on The Bachelor is inherently a feminist argument. Um, also, at no point on this in this segment am I going to make the argument that the things happening around the women in this show, whatever, this world, is not problematic in some way. Um, what I am about to argue is that there were some really interesting things that came out of this bizarre ecosystem that The Bachelor family of products has built um, that I feel like are happening in spite of how problematic everything happening in this universe is. Um, so I just want to be clear about that. The Bachelor ruins the world, as I said in episode one. Um, I have a lot of conflicted feelings about it, but there were things that happened, particularly in the Women Tell All episode, where I was like, fuck, I don't know what universe I'm in anymore. Um, and I want to talk about that and how it pertains to gender. All right. All right. So, um, where this is a little bit hard for you, my friend Kelsey, is, uh, you have never watched The Bachelor. I have never, ever watched The Bachelor. That is correct. You're a better person than me for it. So, what do you need from me before I launch? I don't know. I think I get the premise, right? Like, it's a series of dates and roses and ending in a proposal yes it's catty women and fighting over one man who they all supposedly love and am i missing anything full stop what network is it on uh hold on hold on hold on hold on this is important because networks all have their own i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure i know the answer to this i want to say it's abc Yes, I was right. It was ABC. I know right, an ABC show. I should not hesitate on that. I know. You know I know my way around ABC. So, uh, what you reminded me of, though, is my entry point, is sort of that conversation about the fact that this universe exists around um, an oncoming proposal. So, there's this insane setup as if you're supposed to believe that through I did the math this season and by the time it's all said and done the women who get the most dates get approximately three dates out of this guy that's just counting the one-on-ones that's not counting any two-on-ones or group dates so maybe right so maybe at most they're getting like five dates out of this guy over the course of about 10 weeks and then at some point there's supposed to be a proposal um he does meet their family so you know there's a lot of stuff about getting, like, dad's blessing and whatever. So, like, it, it follows tradition. So there's a whole thing in this season about uh, this woman who... So, like, one thing about The Bachelor that I'm learning slowly and can't explain well, um, but those of you out there who are Bachelor veterans will understand, is that they recycle people. So, like, Nick has been on, like, 10,000 times, and he went to the wedding of some couple that was on some bachelor thing and at that wedding he met some woman who was somehow connected to bachelor things or something and he slept with her after that wedding and so then she she and him like never connected afterwards for reasons and then when it was announced that he would be the bachelor she auditioned for this season to come back to see if they could be a couple sure she auditioned sure she did and like her story throughout the entire season was reduced to the fact that they slept together at this wedding 
And the contention there is that like the whole premise of The Bachelor is that you're looking for you're looking for your wife, right? So you're trying to come out of this engaged to like what the companion podcasts call wifey material. They refer to it as like the wifey edit. And so inherently this woman Liz was not wifey because she and Nick had a one night stand. So at the women tell all, Liz comes back. She's kicked off pretty early in the season. Um, spoiler alert, this doesn't follow the six month rule. Um so she gets kicked off pretty early in the season, and so she gets put in the hot seat, and the women tell all, which means that she gets put in a chair, and the weird host guy, Chris something, who has no purpose, um, gets to ask her a bunch of questions. And he's harassing her about the fact that she came onto the show after having slept with Nick at this wedding, and, like, two or three different women sort of come to her defense it's supposed to be an open time where all the women on the stage can like ask her whatever they were thinking during the show and like this host guy is supposed to like reveal this deep dark secret that like maybe she never meant to date nick in the first place um and a bunch of women on the stage were like you know maybe this liz person shouldn't be reduced to her sexuality and then like i mean it was short-lived but a conversation about healthy sexuality in single women like happens on the stage um it's couched a little bit in some suggestion that liz like does humanitarian work abroad so that's like problematic but the point really is that there were multiple women who were part of this weird love contest that were ready to come to the aid of this one woman and say like you know sex is chill maybe y'all should just find your chill so like surprising moment of feminism um there were a couple other okay how much of that is the edit well that part is the live show okay all right so that's the part that happens so the live show happens after the episode the episode is obviously what's produced and then the live show happens on like a sound stage with a live studio audience so is it live broadcast though I believe so. Question two, how much of it is fed in advance and staged? So here's my thing. It would not be to the benefit of the producers who are trying to push the, like, wifey narrative, as it were, to then have several people going rogue for the purposes of sex positivity. That's fair. Which I'm not saying this is, like, full-on sex positivity. Obviously, there's still parts of this that are problematic, but overall it was like one of the more positive things that you hear over the course of the season which is that they're coming to the aid of this one woman and like they literally say um i can't remember who it was because i'm terrible with names and there's a thousand of them um but one of the women literally says like she should not be reduced to her sexuality like she is more than just the people that she's had sex with like that's not an edit choice you know yep That was, like, one thing that really surprised me. Um, There were a couple other moments throughout the course of the season, like uh, Andy, who Nick apparently proposed to in a previous season. She was, like, a bachelorette, I guess. Um, She comes back in the episode before this week. Uh, And so this week was Fantasy Suites, which is, like, the only time in the series where it's okay for them all to sleep together. But it's, like, scheduled sex time. That's really cute. Uh, I mean, I, I told you it's problematic as shit. Um, 
and so this bachelorette lady that Nick proposed to and she didn't accept obviously comes back and is like hey don't be stressed about fantasy suites like as long as it's consensual feel free to have sex with them because Nick's whole thing is like maybe I shouldn't sleep with them and she was like you know she said it multiple times like if it's consensual like have sex it's just sex it's cool and like again this is happening within a problematic ecosystem but it's still an ecosystem that is trying to to push like this weird puritan vision of love which is like you you court each other and there's some level of propriety and there's a series of questions that are asked and then you are married and then it's okay to like have relations wow right like i'm I'm being so enlightened (laughs) so that was one thing so uh sort of piggybacking on that there were a couple other instances of ladies coming to the aid of other ladies um in a situation where the edit has very much pitted ladies against each other. So The Bachelor loves the idea that there's all these ladies that are in a love fight to win the love contest for, like, the love man, right? Right. Um, so this season in particular, the, like, only drama they could drum up was between Corinne, who they were editing as the villain, um, which I learned that the villain edit is a thing, um, and this woman, Taylor, who's a mental health counselor, and they milked that for all it was fucking worth. Um... So, uh, they brought that drama back in the Women Tell All, and there were a couple different points where, so there's, like, weird alliances in the show because it's, like, weird catty shit, but there were a couple points where, like, women were just being real, and what I find interesting about that is it bucks the edit, and this is also happening in a place where these women are, like, not allowed when they live in the house they're not allowed to have their cell phone or access to internet so they spend all of their time together and you're just supposed to believe that they spend all of that time ripping each other apart as if they're not humans somehow right and there were these moments in the live show like that where women who were as you know i'm doing air quotes but like align aligned with corinne were saying to corinne like well you saying that you never said like spoke shit about taylor is not true um and Taylor was portrayed through this whole debate as, or not debate, um, through this whole edit as being the good one. And Corinne was portrayed as being the bully. So a lot of people were like, well, you know, Taylor, you were kind of difficult to live with. And we're saying this to people who lived with you. As I said, the show doesn't want you to believe that these particular women on the show are capable of that kind of rational debate. And yet it's happening on the soundstage. So obviously that's something that like you thought was interesting and enjoyed but do you think there's a certain demo who is really not ironically watching this who was annoyed by that that's the part that i can't tell so most of why i've been willing to sit through this season is because i'm trying to understand the fandom because from everything i can tell about the fandom none of them are watching it for real either i started listening to the companion podcast i have a couple friends who watch it and I had been reading some recaps here and there as, I, as they were coming up, mostly on my Twitter feed. And from everything I could tell, everyone was like, we don't buy the premise. We obviously don't believe this is about love. Like, we know that the edits are trying to tell particular stories every season. We get the formula. So it's like, then why the fuck are you watching this if it's problematic as shit? 
And then some of like the companion podcasts that I listened to in particular, those were the arguments they were making is that like you do see these breakthrough moments where the reality of what the women think and feel breaks through what the producer is trying to the story the producer is trying to tell you like so Catherine Van Der Van Van Arendonk there we go um from Vulture and Appointment Television has been writing all season about how in every episode the women are always cold and I feel like that's her ultimate point right is that like there's these breakthrough things that bust through the production like and reveal the reality of what's happening in this absurd universe I don't know does that like answer your question like I feel like that's the part that people are watching for is like the little moments where you suddenly realize that this is all bullshit yeah I mean I think that's fair but I also think there's a demo that is not in any of the circles that we run in that watches it seriously don't you think there is like I don't I have a hard time imagining that's possible like I I just, having sat through an entire season, I don't understand how even someone who, like, isn't thinking about this from a critical mindset and isn't thinking about the games that a producer plays, like, I think most people at this point have a basic enough understanding of reality TV that, like, no one is watching this and thinking, like, this is what real-life romance would be like. I don't know. Like, I jumping ahead a little bit to the end of the um, Women Tell All, they had Rachel Lindsay, who's going to be the new Bachelorette on, and spoiler alert, she was uh, eliminated? I don't think they used that language in the show, but she is no longer on the show as of this episode. Um, And she's now casted as the Bachelorette, which was announced a couple weeks ago. And she kept talking about and was prompted by the host and by the other women about how in a couple weeks or a couple months, um, based on the airing schedule, not the filming schedule, because in reality, by this point, the show has probably wrapped filming. Um, But in a couple months, she would have a ring on her finger. And it's like, I just don't believe that anyone out there is watching this and thinking that that ring on her finger means the same thing as it does for anyone else getting married. I mean, that's fair. I'm looking at their Facebook comments right now. Oh, yeah? And I'm what pulling... It's interesting. Tell me more. I mean, there's a lot of, like, very serious, like, as happy as I am that so-and-so got chosen, I'm a little sad that I won't see someone else. She's so adorable and sweet. Like, but even the people who watch ironically about it talk about it that way, because even if you're watching ironically, you have still to some extent bought in to the basic premise. I mean, deviating from my original point, one thing that has remained clear to me this entire season uh, is like a feeling I've had in my gut is that this feels like the entry point to the Hunger Games. Like, I keep waiting for little silver parachutes to show up when the women are, like, standing on the beach. Oh, God. Like, it has this very Hunger Games feeling to me where a lot of the women come on the, sh- on the show and claim to have been skeptics about the process, and then by the time they're in the limo being sent home, they're talking about how 
they didn't think they would, but they really did fall in love, and now they're heartbroken. And to me, that follows the same pattern described by Katniss throughout the course of the Hunger Games, um, particularly around her love story with Peeta, but also around some of her love story with, or not love story, <laughs> the opposite of love story, uh, some of her feelings about, like, having to buy into the murder plot of the Hunger Games where you have to kill other people to stay alive. Like, in some ways, which again, sure. this is counter to my original point, that's literally how The Bachelor works. And that's the argument that Corinne makes to defend herself when all the women come at her for all of the crazy things she did for attention. She's like, the point of this show is to be the person who ends with a ring on their finger. So I was just trying to get Nick to notice me. Um, which makes Corinne, like, my hero in this season, because... And, like, I could see why that's problematic for a lot of people, including the producers, because that breaks down what the producers are trying to get at. Yeah. Because she's right. The point of it is to be the person in the last episode. Right. Not, there's not much else to it. Like, you're not actually trying to get married to these people as, like, the track record of previous contestant shows. Um, you're just trying to be the person in the last episode. Interesting. I don't think I'm sold on The Bachelor, guys. Oh, I'm not sold. I'm definitely not watching another season. And, I mean, that's why I front-loaded this conversation, right? Like, I am not trying to yeah. say that this is ultimately not fucked up. Like, there, I just, I, I have more things on my list that I'm not going to talk about. But, like, there, there was a moment, um, one really powerful moment in particular after Christina, who is the woman from Russia, she had to come up and give her story again, which is, like, this very complex sob story and whatever. And after she gave it, this other woman, like, tearfully raises her hand and is like, you know, we just spent a half hour with Corinne and Taylor yelling at each other and all of us shouting at each other about them. And, like, meanwhile, there's all these other women who are dealing with other things in the world and, like, we're so privileged. She actually used those words. We're so privileged to be up here. Um, why are we tearing each other down when we should be lifting each other up? And I guess for me, like, that was just a wild moment given the immense pressure of this fucked up, patriarchal, like, contorted vision of heteronormative American romance that is surrounding the entire purpose of them being on that soundstage. I can see that. And that is the only symbol I wanted to explore with you tonight. I think you have <laughs> explored it. I certainly hope so. <laughs> um... There is, speaking of symbolism, there is a really funny moment during, it's like midway through the Women Tell All, so there's like a whole thing throughout the season about Corinne and cheesy pasta, which is literally just cooked noodles and shredded cheese. Um, oh, what a delicacy. Yeah, right? The people, or some group of people from BuzzFeed actually made it and said it's edible. I don't know. But Corinne uh, has a caterer. I mean, the show makes you think Corinne has a caterer make it for everybody in the audience as, like, her going-away gift. Mm -hmm. And um, so Taylor, the woman she was feuding with, is holding her bowl of cheesy pasta. And as they cut to commercial, the camera, like, pans in and out of the bowl of cheesy pasta in her hand, completely untouched. What drama. <laughs> so much drama. Maybe she just wasn't into the cheesy pasta. 
I don't think she was into the cheesy pasta. I think mostly she was, like, licking her wounds because there was, like, a group of people on the soundstage that night that were willing to stand up for her, but almost everyone was Team Corinne, um, which, like, I do feel bad for Taylor. This is a side note um, on, like, the broader topic, but Taylor talks about in this in her time in the hot seat, as they call it, um, she talks about how she's a mental health counselor and she was reduced to nothing more than being a mental health counselor in her time on the show, which like that was mostly her doing. Um, or maybe it was her edit. Like, I don't know how to tell the difference. And then she talks about how the way Corinne talks about her and the names Corinne calls her has had an impact on her career. Um, since the airing of the season, yeah, and it's one of those complicated things, right? Like, this season um, had a lot of really uh, highly credentialed women in some pretty interesting jobs. There were attorneys, there were teachers, um, there, you know, Taylor's a master's in mental health counseling. Like, there were a lot of women who have some pretty intensive jobs. And, like, on one hand, I was, I sort of understood how. Taylor could be up there talking about the impact that the show has had on her career and on the other hand I was like what did you think was going to happen when you went on the love contest on national television right like that comes with the package right like I'm I'm a service provider myself and it's in the back of my mind with pretty much everything I do like how anything I do is going to impact the view of me to people I serve. Especially when you go on The Bachelor next season. Oops, spoiler! <laughs> I feel so enlightened. Do you? I do. I learned a lot. No, you didn't. I mean, I learned more about the concept of The Bachelor. <laughs> I did get that out of it. Like, what I learned from watching this season, and this is where this goes from being a BYOB to being a true hate watch is that the Bachelor family of products for, at least according to my circles and my confirmation bias for the people watching it, is less about the true text of the show and more about, well, I, I feel like I'm about to pull exactly from a Catherine article that she posted on Vulture the other day, but it's like more about the subtext, right? Like that was the whole argument she made. Um, I think it was literally titled like Goodbye Bachelor's Text. <laughs> Hello, like our new favorite show, Bachelor Subtext. Um, I feel like for most of the audience, it really is about the format of the show than it is about the people on the show. So like you're watching the patterns, you're watching the edits. Um, I feel like it's like media criticism light for like the lay person. Interesting. And then there's a lot of it that's about the spin-off content. So people really like the recap blogs and people really like the recap podcasts, of which there are many. Um, and it's more about, I guess, messing around with the ideas of the people that are on the show and the way that they're presented and like whether or not that matches real life humans than it is about, like, whether or not Nick fell in love with anyone. So, like, everyone's in on the joke at this point. That's my impression from, like, dipping my toes in the waters of the fandom. I can't imagine any other reason why at this point the fandom would be so deeply invested, because the formula 
has made itself clear. I mean, they announced Rachel Lindsay as the Bachelorette three weeks ago when she was still the front runner of the season. I feel like it had a resurgence like three years ago too, and like since then it's been on the upswing all over again. And it started like what ten years ago, fifteen years ago. Oh, it's old as shit. Yeah, I don't even know. I'm googling that. Are you? It aired in 2002. 15 years. Yeah, I mean, there's no way that people are going through this life thinking that relationships formed on the show are real and somehow, like, comparable to relationships in real life. One can only hope. (laughs) So, um, next week is the last episode of this season of The Bachelor, I think. I thought you were just going to say it's the last episode of Hate Watch with us. And I was like, really? We didn't talk about this. <laughs> uh, um, I didn't give you this week's rose. Oh, no. You didn't. I have the choice every episode, Kelsey, of whether or not I give you a rose. Can we bring roses into the Great British Bake Off somehow? <laughs> Do you accept this rose? <laughs> no, it's a soggy bottom. <laughs> So, um, (laughs) on that note, (laughs) on that note, if you would like to present roses to me on Twitter, you can do so at hate watch with us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, cause that's how Twitter engagement works. Totally. And if you'd like to say something else, I guess, um, you can (laughs) do that. Using email. <laughs> what is it? Email? <laughs> Our email address is hatewatchwithus at gmail.com. Can I just tell you how fucking old as shit I feel using an email address as a point of contact? Can I just tell you that someone in my office just learned that Gmail addresses can either add the period or take it away and still work? What do you mean? Did you not know this either? <laughs> I guess not. Oh, what a pure, innocent, new Hey, watch with us the internet. I thought this was common knowledge. I, like, judged this girl at work completely because she didn't know. And I was like, who are you? Did you judge her as hard as when I learned that people actually print out their emails? <laughs> no, no one could ever judge anyone that much. <laughs> For all of you listeners out there who print out your emails, why the fuck are you doing that? Please email me (laughs) (laughs) using our email address, hatewatchwithus at gmail.com, and let me know why the fuck you're printing out your emails. (laughs) Kirstie, I printed an email today. (laughs) Kirstie! So, I sent an email with my plan for something last night. For real, this may be our last episode of Hate Watch because I printed an email today. <laughs> All right. Well, the Twitter machine, the email thing. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Don't print your emails, guys. Don't print your emails, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.